All right. We're going to, yeah. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. So we're going to go ahead and start our Wednesday night Bible class for uh, this week. If you remember, we are in 1 Corinthians. We are in chapter 9 this week. It's a very exciting chapter that um, talks a whole lot about uh, ministers' wages. So be prepared for that. Um, trying to get myself a raise, I guess, tonight. No, um, so be, uh, just be prepared for that. There's the big first, first half of the chapter is about that. But um, let's go ahead and uh, start with prayer. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We are grateful to be here, grateful to learn from one another. There is many, many, many years of wisdom, knowledge, and experience in this room. And Father, all of it put together is not as wise as you, but Lord, we know you put us here with each other to encourage one another, to help each other grow, to challenge one another. One of the most amazing things about studying the Bible with just different people at different times is everybody sort of looks at it just a little bit different. And Father, so many truths can be revealed in a format like this where people are free to share their opinions and, and what they think when they hear the words of, of God, the words of, of the Bible. So Father, I just pray that uh, as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 9 tonight, that Lord, you give us the courage to say what we think, if we feel like we need to, and um, also give us the grace to uh, realize that none of us have it all figured out. So again, we thank you so much for this time where we can come together and just grow. More importantly, we thank you for Jesus, for the sacrifice he made on the cross that gives us the hope of eternal life with you in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We've just got through a few very difficult um, chapters that had to do a lot with what was going on um, in the context of Corinth at the time that they were living in. Um, But remember how I told you Paul talks in circles, right? And when you read his letters... He starts in certain places and kind of circles around back to them at different times. Don't forget, and and this also bleeds into um, the studies we've been having through Ephesians and Philippians as well. Don't forget the persecution that Paul has went through. He's not just being persecuted by the world. He's not just being persecuted by the Jews for basically being a betrayer, right? He's also being persecuted by the church. So every angle that Paul is dealing with, there's persecution. And that's really where he's starting with in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Ends up going in the direction of minister's wages, but you'll see why here in a few verses. So, let's go ahead and start reading. Verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship 
in the Lord. See, I, I didn't even want to go any further than that to begin with because <clears throat> I wanted to remind you, <clears throat> excuse me, I wanted to remind you that 1 Corinthians has not been the easiest book, right? This hasn't been the greatest love letter written in the Bible, has it? This isn't, he's not writing to them because they're doing so much right that he just wants to um, brag on them and encourage them. It doesn't have the same start, for example, that Ephesians did and Philippians did, does, right? So let me ask you this. Why would people question, first of all, if Paul was an apostle? What were the qualifications of an apostle? A witness to Jesus. Yep. That absolutely. In fact, they defined the amount of time they had to be with Jesus. So, what was that time? Yeah, from his. Yeah, from his baptism to what? To the ascension. To the ascension. Yeah, they had to be there for the entire ministry of Jesus. Go ahead, Chuck. That's, yeah. At least until that moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very unique. Yeah, I mean that that is very true. In fact, um, Paul talks about going and visiting, hoping to go and visit certain churches to lay hands on them so he can give them spiritual gifts. You remember that? So there is something that's going on with the apostles that's different from anybody else in the church. Even though, during this time in the New Testament, there are many people who have, what we would consider at least today, right? Miraculous gifts. Gifts of the Spirit that aren't just uh, normal gifts like encouragement and, and being of joy and, and being able to contribute and being able to speak well and, 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 and all the different other gifts that come from the Holy Spirit, right? So I'm glad you mentioned that, and I'm glad we mentioned the two different things right off, right off the bat, because you do have the criteria which is found in Acts chapter 1 when they're trying to replace Judas, but you also have the hand selection, the hand selection, okay? Here's something very interesting about Paul. How many times do you think Paul saw Jesus before he was converted on the road to Damascus? He probably saw him a bunch, right? I believe he probably saw him a bunch. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were more interested in Jesus. Not always for the right reason, right? They were just as interested in Jesus as anybody else. In fact, almost any time you see Jesus speaking, in the crowd there are some Pharisees. Right? So, 
I think that is one of the ways, though, that people in the church would attack Paul's apostleship. They'd say he wasn't, he wasn't there for his whole ministry. In fact, he wasn't just not there for his whole ministry. He was on the other side. Right? I mean, imagine coming to church, and all of a sudden the guy that's at your church is the guy that has been hunting down Christians and throwing them in jail and killing them. You'd have a hard time trusting that guy, wouldn't you? Wouldn't be something that came naturally. Oh, man, I'm so glad you finally converted. Right? So I want you to see that. And one of the things that he is saying is, even though he has been chastising in a lot of ways the church of Corinth, right, for the things that they're struggling with, for the things that they're arguing about, and even though there is a division in their church, And some of it seems to be over Paul and who he really is. He says, if anybody should know I'm an apostle, it should be you. You experienced it. You saw it. You lived with me. You knew me. You know who I am. Anybody who's been with me for this type of time should know who I am. Y'all don't have to question it. In fact, you guys are living work of mine. Right? And he's going to continue that thought here in a little bit. So he says this, verse 3, This is my defense to those who would examine me. Now I put that in red because I want you to understand that a big chunk of what's coming next is his defense. Right? So he started already with kind of questioning where people's motives were, right? But now he's going to go into his real defense of his apostleship. So verse 4, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord, and even Cephas, who's Cephas? Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So he's pointing out already One, that he's made sacrifices that God didn't even necessarily ask him to make. These are sacrifices he has chosen to make, right? We talked about this before. Could Paul, and this was from the the chapter on marriage, right? I believe it was chapter 7. Where we talked about how Paul would not have been able to do the, the amount of stuff that he did in the amount of time that he had. If he was married, because his interests would have been divided, right? He would have wanted to do all these things for the Lord, but he would have also had to consider his wife. So he's starting out by saying, look, there are all these rights that we do have. There are all these things we could do. We, we should be able to get that I have given up. Right? Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, Mike, because he was just talking about the meat sacrificed to idols in eight, and he was talking about the wives in seven, right? So he's literally bringing up 
in that circular fashion, right? The, the tough parts of the arguments that he was just talking about with, his, with this congregation, right? So that's very good. Very good, Mike. <clears throat> so I want you to see the other thing, too, though, that's sitting here. And that is, as far as Paul knows, and I don't think he's calling everybody out, like, in a negative way, right? But as far as he knows, the only people that aren't taking pay for what they're doing for the church is him and Barnabas. Okay? I'm only pointing that out because he's going to really go heavy on that at a, in, in, in just a few verses. Is there anything else anybody else wants to bring up before we move? Did Cephas, let me ask you this, did Peter travel all over the world um, um, converting people? No. He stayed in. Yeah. And he stayed in, part of why he stayed in Jerusalem probably was because he was married. Right? Part of why. Look, let me ask you, let me, let me get you to think about it like this. When I went to Bible school, I was either going to be a youth minister or a missionary. I didn't know which one. I know I like to travel, right? There was something exciting about that part of it for me. And I had a couple different options because of the scholarship that I got. I had a couple different ways that I could go that were kind of already kind of laid out for me. Just so you know, I didn't take any of that. Um, one was to be a church planner in New England. And I went and did a visit in New England and, and there was way too much snow and way too much winter for me. Uh, I'm just, hey, I'm sorry. Keeping it real here. Keeping it real. See my tan? Um, not big into ice fishing. Uh, and then... The other one was I was going to go to the um, Tulsa Mission Workshop and there were some people there that I was going to get introduced to and I was going to be able to go right into a mission team. And my support was already going to be raised for me and all of that stuff. And I remember talking to Amy because we were very serious at the time as we talked about in chapters past. We were already to that point where we were, we knew we were getting married and the first thing she told me was, I don't want to do mission. I don't want to do missions. We can do ministry all you want. I respect that. I love that about you. But I don't want to travel. I want to get a career. I want to have a family. Basically all the stuff we've done. So I, I, I want you to see that and, and also understand that, look, people have different callings, right? People do have different callings. People are in different situations Four different reasons. Going back to chapter 7, where Paul says, look, it'd be good if you're like me, but not everybody's going to be like me. Right? I just want to keep, keep pointing that out and keep showing you that through uh, 1 Corinthians. All right, verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Am I speaking for myself? Remember, he's already done that in the past, but he always makes sure he tells you when he is, right? Does not the law say the same? Talking about the Old Testament, right? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it's tread out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Is he worried about the animal? Is he speaking about 
the animal in that situation, right? He says, does he not certainly speak for our sake? Is he not talking about us? Think he's worried about the oxen? Think he's worried about the ox? Or is he worried about us? Right? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope that the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So he's talking about a partnership. He's talking about a partnership that we have in church. Right? He's talking about how even though we know some can seed and and some can water, but only God can cause the growth, there's a commitment that has to be made. Even if it's just by a few in the church, right? In different areas. There is a commitment that has to be made. And because of that commitment that is made, there is growth that comes for all of us. This is a really awkward to ch- talk. This is a really awkward chapter to talk about. I should have handed this one off to one of the elders. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. The hard part is how do you measure the value of what's being sown spiritually? I want to talk to you about something that. Um, I've experienced many times in ministry, it's, it's, it's one of the secrets, really, and it's something that when ministers go to conventions, which I don't go to very often because this is what it all turns into, just so you know, they start to open up about. And it's how much disregard for the job of ministry there actually is amongst, at times, the church and the church leadership. I'll give, you a, I'll give you an example. I have a friend. I'm not going to mention any names, but I do have a, I have a friend, a very close friend of mine, who's got three people in his family in ministry. He's got a brother-in-law, he's got a father, and, he, and it's him. Okay? All of his uncles, all of his uncles, and many of, his, and many of the... Um, um, the next generation up, like grandparents and stuff like that, all of them are elders. All of them. Family, super spiritual, super strong family in the church. One of the reasons why I'm not going to give you no names. Some of you might know who I'm talking about. <coughs> so, very influential people. Big ministries. Not small ministries, big ministries. Some of them are ministries that impact the entire world. Literally. And I'll never forget, the father was talking to us while we were, um, we were actually just at a, at, a, at a beach house, and we were all hanging out. And it was just a bunch of ministers, and the father actually said, don't expect people to be able to put a price tag on what you do. And another thing he said was, my brothers are all fishermen, and they know I love to fish. But when I come home, they never take me fishing. <clears throat> he said, instead, they joke about, and, they, and again, these are, 
elders at their churches. Instead, they joke about, I don't have a real job. I only work a couple days a week. It's hard to put a price tag on what's being sown spiritually. It really is. And I think there's, a, to an extent, that is what he, he, Paul is bringing this up because there is a reality to that. There is a partnership between the ministry, between the leadership, and between the congregation. Right? And I think you're going to see that, <coughs> excuse me, in a little bit different way in the next few verses. If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? In other words, he's saying, look, we work personally with you. Right? We work personally with you. If others share this rightful claim on you, who are the others? Is Paul talking about other people that are ministering to them? This is what I think. This is my opinion. This is how I read it. I might be wrong. But when you go to work, or is somebody making a profit off of what you do? They are, aren't they? Do they have a right to do that? Didn't they provide you with the job? Did you not agree to your pay? Right? If others share the right full claim on you, are they making money? Sure they are. But they're also sharing with what they make off of you with you. Right? <clears throat> I think that's what he's saying. Do not we even more? Do not we even more. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Which right is he talking about? The right to be paid. Right? But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. If Paul, with all the persecution that he's going through in his life, were to stop at every church, play every place he's trying to plant a church, every church after he's planted the church on his visits and his missionary journeys... And he was setting everybody up for money everywhere he went. You don't think the people that are already trying to find fault with him would use that even in a greater way to find fault with him? I do. I can tell you right now, anybody ever watch YouTube or anybody ever watch any, uh, anybody have any favorite uh, vloggers or anything like that? Never? Well, you should. It's pretty exciting. My kids got me into it. There's some really good stuff out there, but you know what they do every 15 minutes? They put an advertisement in there. Or they all of a sudden stop their video and they're holding an advertisement. You should buy this. Right? You know what I do when those moments come? I skip 10 seconds ahead. I skip 15 seconds ahead. Because I, I, didn't, I didn't watch it to buy a product. Right? In the same way, people have a negative attitude towards that. If I was up here, which is why this is a little awkward, preaching for my salary, right? That would not be the... I don't think that would be the greatest strategy. I think you would get put off by that. So he says, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ, I, I don't do that. Because I already got all this other stuff going on against me. There's all this other stuff people are already saying about me. So do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? 
And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. Again, he's going all the way back into the old law. He's showing you how even the priests, even the Levitical priests, lived off of what their job was in the temple, right? That's what he's showing you. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provisions. Saying, look, I'm not talking about this so people will start feeling bad for me and start paying me. Okay? For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. What? For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, right? So what's his boast? What's his boast? Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, that's his boast. If anybody feels like rolling nickels, I mean, it's, I mean, I'm okay with that. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I wouldn't even know what to do with that. Um, that would make me feel really awkward. Don't do that. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. You are not wrong. So that's his boast. He's saying, look, I could be paid for this, but I'm not. I'm choosing not to be. Now, let me ask you another question. Does Paul ever get a collection? Yeah, he does get collections, right? Yeah, he talks about it many times at the end of many letters, right? It's not, it's not a one-time thing that happens. In fact, <coughs> he talked about how in Philippians that they weren't just giving of their time, they didn't just have a relationship with him, but they were actually helping support him at times um, when, he, when he fell on hard times. So, but that is his boast, is that he does it for free. If he was making a bunch of money doing it, again, I think people who are already causing problems for him, even though he was doing it for free... Right? Would have used that against him. I think he had less of a choice on that than any of the other apostles did. To be honest, because of his history, because of where he came from. Uh, anybody else want to add to that before we move on? Yeah, it's his calling. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. Anything else before we move on? I didn't expect to get very much um, chatter during this part. I expect to though at the end. Okay, we're, we're gonna. No, no, I didn't mean. I didn't mean that. 
I mean, I wasn't, normally we can't get through a couple verses, you know, very, we're, we're actually going fast is what I meant by that. Don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> Carl, yeah. Well, we can certainly talk. I, I feel like, hmm, I feel like when, even when one minister takes a ridiculous payment, it hurts all ministers. Um, I feel like, um, speaking from my own heart, of course I want to get paid a fair salary. I don't want to get paid an excess salary. Um, I don't think I need to have $4,000 pairs of sneakers that I preach in. These were on clearance. Um, I actually did try to start another job to help compensate my salary here so I could begin to preach here for free. What's funny about that was, it was I was... Some of you know this, I was um, breeding um, fish in my garage and I actually had about $50,000 worth of babies in my garage and I had a guy in Daytona that I was going in a partnership with, he was going to buy all my fish. And I went to Teen Week and I came back and all my fish were dead. And so I started all over, and I did it again for another year, and I had about another $30,000 worth of fish. And this guy is in Daytona, and he's a big-time Christian too, so when he found out I was a minister and what I was trying to do, he was like all for it. So when I went back to him the first time and said, all my fish died while I was at church camp, he gave me a whole bunch of new breeder colonies to start all over with. Right? So I took that as a sign, and I went for it again for another year. And uh, the very next year at uh, Teen Week, my fish died again. And I felt like God was telling me something completely different. So I stopped trying to uh, compensate my salary. Um, but yeah, I, th- I do think that it, it, it does hurt, and I do think it gives a, um, not just for unbelievers, but for people in the church when the preacher's getting paid an exorbitant amount of money, even for people that don't go to that church, I don't think it sends a positive message. I don't think it speaks highly for... Uh, f- it certainly does not portray this attitude by any means. Go ahead, Chad. And I think a lot of times when they get those crazy salaries, or, or what have you, with lifestyles, it's a lot of times how they boast about it. They wear a $4,000 pair of shoes, a different Rolex every week, and... He lives better than I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, now let me say this too. The scriptures say it's harder for a rich man to get to heaven, right? It doesn't say it's wrong to be rich. Okay? And I would, I would be, I want to say that sometimes God blesses people because of their heart and because of what they will do with that money. Right? But, but I will also say that the rain falls on the good just as much as it falls on the bad. So, be really careful just because somebody has money, even if they're a minister, not to impose a thought upon them, try to find out who they really are. They might be doing amazing things with that money. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do hear your point. Mike. Yeah. And he Yeah. It definitely does. If nothing else, it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. And more times than not, and I know you guys know this just as well as I do, because you probably follow things in a similar fashion, um, a lot of those guys get a lot of money and a lot of power and then get exposed. So, um, not all of them, but a lot of them. Okay, anything else before we move on? Bobby. Yep. That's an interesting thought for sure. <laughs> That's a, an interesting thought. Yeah, go ahead, Chad. I need. <laughs> You know, have you ever seen a plane? And why do I do it? I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. So yet again, and this is a broken record with Paul, but it's something you see in all of his writings over and over and over and over again. To live is Christ. Every decision. Paul is probably the most mechanical person. And I mean that with sincerity, with, with admiration, okay? He is so on task all the time that in every decision he makes, that's what he just went through with you. From the beginning... From the hard parts, the hard decisions that people were struggling with in Corinth, to the end. All these rights he could do, all the, everything that he does, every decision he makes is, 
what am I going to do with this choice I have that will help me further my influence for the kingdom of God? I would love to say that I think about that in every aspect of my life as well, but I can't. I can't. It's one of the things I admire the most about him. So before we switch to his closing, anybody got anything they want to add to that before we move on? I can flip back if you want. We just went through a few scriptures, though. No? Good enough for now? Okay. So then we come to probably the scripture we all remember from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, right? I mean, I'll be honest, this is one of the most important scriptures in the whole Bible to me. Right here. I needed somebody who could be all things to all people to help convert me. Even though I was raised in the church, even though I had a really nice family, I had a lot of tough questions that a lot of people couldn't answer. And I needed somebody that was similar to me, that thought similar. He's not saying if you don't run and you're not at the very front of the pack, you're not going to get to heaven. But he's saying strive like that. Right? That's right, run your own race. You know, I was um, on vacation. I played uh, golf with, my, uh, with, with Amy's mom's husband, my stepfather-in-law. And he's been, since he retired, he's been starting to play golf a little bit. And I play golf like three or four times a year at most. But I got Mickey Tag's toes clubs, so, you know, I play all right. Because when you get a scratch golfer's clubs, you play better. That's not true. (laughs) But they are nice clubs. And... You know, for the first couple holes, we were hitting similar. And as the game went on, I started to slowly but surely pull away. By the time we ended the game, I beat him by 20-something strokes. But we're not talking about that. The whole game, though, and this is something you got to... In fact, it was either Bart or Charlie taught me this. We were playing church softball, and there was this one guy who was a pitcher... And he would run his mouth right before he threw the ball at you. Might have been Bart who told me. But he said, you know, there's two types of pitchers in the world. One where the pitch starts out of the hand and one where the pitch starts out of the mouth. And I remember thinking about that and thinking, going back to the, the, the golf analogy, I'm, I'm, if I was a pitcher, I'd be the one where the pitch starts from the mouth. Because when I play competitively against someone, I like to have a little banter in between as well. That's who I am. I like to fuel the fire a little bit, make it worth something, you know? In fact, when I played at OVU in soccer, I got in a little bit of trouble every now and then because I wasn't being the best Christian example on the soccer field. By my senior year, I was pretty good, but the first couple of years, I was raised where once you went in the lines, you could do whatever you wanted, and you'd come back out of the lines, and you were back to your real life. So once I started pulling ahead of uh, Ron, I started pitching with my mouth, right? 
And I started trying to uh, prod at him a little bit, try to get him a little competitive. He was already yelling at himself once in a blue moon, you know, but I, I wanted to see a little bit more excitement. And that's exactly what he said to me was, I'm not out here to play against you. I'm out here to play against myself. The competition isn't between me and you. The competition is between me and this ball and that scorecard. And if I can get one stroke better than I did last week, I'm winning no matter how bad you beat me. And I do think that's exactly what Paul is talking about here, right? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable, what matters more? What could matter anymore? And I think this is also the mindset that Paul really does deal with life, and it's why he's willing to sacrifice in the way he does. It's why he's willing to put other people before himself. It's why he's willing to forego even rights that he has as a worker, as an apostle, as a Christian, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Jesus Christ. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I always find that so interesting how he finishes that. Because what's he talking about? I could be the best preacher in the world. If I don't live what I preach... I could save all these other people and disqualify disqualify myself. So, that's it. Anybody got anything they want to say before we leave? I hope that's a good thing. All right, well, yet again, another good Wednesday night class. I didn't expect as much uh, chatter as we normally have because of the uh, topic, but we did have a lot of good discussion, and I really do appreciate it. And don't think I was trying to discourage you from speaking. <laughs> Please come back. Please come back. Peter's going to get hurt next. I'm going to hurt him when you leave, so you have to come back. I'm going to hurt him. So... All right, well, thank you guys so much for coming, and thanks for all the conversation.